are you, sir? I'm good. Yeah. What's, what's going on? Not Rock, much. Rocking an NBA shirt today. Yep. Just keeping it, keeping the vibes going, or is this? It was clean. Way? You know, it's one of those things. Was clean. You know, sometimes you just grab the first thing. You know, you're like, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's been shaking this week? Uh, not too much. Um, we uh, we went to see. Well, let me ask you this. When you go to see shows, and I mean plays, live live plays, live, live theater, yeah, live theater. We have to <laughs> when you, when you go to the theater. Yes. Um, how do you feel when you see a show that has been a movie before it was a play? A show that was a movie before it was a play. I haven't right. done those many of those. I'm trying to rack my brain. I think Shrek the musical is the only one that would come to mind. How do you, I mean, when you go to see the staged version, right? How are your expectations curtailed or how are they excited about what you're going to see? Well, I mean, normally. I would choose to not see those shows because I prefer to see either classic Broadway shows or, you know, contemporary dramas because I think the theater was built for drama, sir. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, so what you, you, you must have seen quite a doozy this week. Uh, I, well, I don't know about that. Uh, I, I, I went to see Spam a lot. Uh, and, oh, okay. You know, I'm always interested in, in, you know, obviously that translation process that happens from mm-hmm. screen to, to stage, uh, you know, we could talk about it the other way around, you know, if it's a play first and then it becomes a movie later, but. Um, are there, are there any uh, referential jokes to it being a cash grab? Well, I mean, I, there, so there is something to be said about a theater choosing to do a known property, right? Um, no, no, and, I just meant in and, the show itself. Oh, like, no. knowing, knowing that Eric Idle and them wrote it. You know, might have not really. I mean, there's you know, there is a number in the show that they give you the option to do an alternative version of, but it's the song about uh Jews, you know, we need to find Jews, right? Um, which you know was only mildly disturbing sitting (laughs) in the middle of the von Braun Center, uh, you know, hearing (laughs) the song about yeah, it was it was only mildly uh um you know jarring. Um so no, but no, there's nothing like uh, you know, there's no real self-referential stuff like that it's all um you know it's like watching a cadre of people get together and act out monty python and the holy grail yeah and uh, you know if i can't have john cleese and eric idol and uh, you know it's it's not going to be the same and and i think uh, the point i'm trying to get out here is that there are some things that are so iconic that it just dominates whatever follows after and so you, you you have that sort of echo of that performance or that movie so so you're saying that there's a loophole in adaptation theory is that okay (laughs) i finally got him to admit it Uh, there is i've been beating him down for a decade just being like really adaptation theory it's rock solid (laughs) well i like a lot about it but uh, but i you know uh yeah i guess it's so it took me sitting in 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 the middle of a production of spam a lot for me to realize yeah that for me to realize that yeah but there there yeah there's just some things that just can't uh they just can't get out of the shadow of the you know of the original text and it's just it's a it's problematic 
um, for someone's enjoyment or reception, I believe. Yes. In this I, I, yes. I would say that the one place I wouldn't want to see that is like in a high school. I think that that would be very painful. I think it would be very painful for the high schoolers. <laughs> would you, if you were directing something like that, uh-huh. would you require the cast to watch the original movie? That's a great question. Cause that can go one of two ways. You don't want mimicry. You know, you, you want them to do it on their own, but I, I definitely think that would be a question on the uh, uh, audition sheet. Have mm. you ever seen? Right. Cause it does need to be taken into consideration. You just don't want a reproduction. Right. You know, you, know, you want something authentic so I guess I'd say no. Yeah, no, I would stay away from it. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think. But the I struggle, would watch. It, I would have us watch something like Airplane, or you know, just just to get in the head of kind of you know timing and pacing and yeah, you know things like that, like to move it to. So if you don't say, oh, you got to watch Holy Grail. Then you say, "Hey, can you watch Meaning of Life?" Or can you watch? Oh yeah, or you know, Life of Brian. I, I would say right, right. Yeah, you could or watch or put together some of the skits from the original show, because you know, just so that a, they understand the timing. Yeah, it's a show that's constructed around the comedic style and abilities of of the former iconic actors, right? So yes. you would at least need to have some sort of frame of reference for where that style is coming from and where you know what what the sort of rhythms and paces and uh, you know all these things that 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 you mentioned so there's some context you know for how for how to for how to play it i was stunned when i was hearing after the show that some of the cast had never seen the holy grail mm-hmm. and 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 it showed because you know the the comedic timing was off you know i mean it just it's just it you know just didn't work mm-hmm. so um in in stretches uh so yeah, it was just an interesting question. These these are things that I pondered as I was driving home uh, from the you know. It sounds like you got shook <laughs> a little bit. Well, no, I mean I you know uh, uh, that's a big show. I mean it's a huge cast, so it's a very ambitious production to take on. Um, and so props to them. You know, I mean it's it's you know it's staged. The, uh, and I should I should add that the audience that was there the night that I was there were loving it. I mean, they were just, you know, they were just eating it up, you know? So there were just, there were just pockets of us that were sort of, Hmm, you know, just kind of listening and watching it and taking it in um, uh, and and probably internalizing it in different ways. But yeah. So I don't know if shook is the right word, but I definitely was, um, was alerted to some of these challenges um, that, uh, that I think people face when you're doing a show like that, that's just so iconic, you know, and, and so the audience comes in with certain expectations. So, yeah, I can, I can see that. I can yeah. see that. Well, we're lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson. Uh, aside from theater concerns, uh, we review movies or not review really just kind of break down films on this show. Uh, we've got two today. We're going back into the eighties <laughs> again, the, the biggest hits of the eighties. I mean, we, I'm we so sorry. I feel like I've been keeping us in the eighties. So I'm sorry. I'm I don't, sorry. I don't think it's so bad. And revisiting some of these has been a blast. Last week we had a blast with Excalibur and Dragon Slayer. Uh, this week it is <laughs> Beverly Hills cop. 
1984, directed by Martin Brest, starring Eddie Murphy at peak Eddie Murphy. Uh, and then Crocodile Dundee, 1986, directed by Peter Feynman, starring Paul Gaday Hogan, who can assure you that he has a knife, that this is indeed <laughs> a knife. Um, I, this is our, uh, this is kind of our, uh, our thematic for this episode is the fish out of water. Yes. And, you know, Hollywood loves fish out of water stories. Like they're easy, you know, it's just, they're not that hard to follow, you, you know, and, and as an audience too, it's kind of, it's, it's nice, you know, watching, and I will say that, like thinking about these two films in that way was kind of relaxing. Honestly. <laughs> Helpful. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I was just kind of like, oh, okay, I can, you know, just sort of just thinking about the genre and the, you know, all the little things that always seem to come up and you know, whatnot. But uh, uh, let's start with, uh, let's start with Beverly Hills Cop since we'll, we'll go chronological. Uh, it was 1984. Um, and we just keep getting, 1984 keeps circling us, doesn't it? I, I don't yeah. know what's, what's going on uh, uh, with us. You know, in in our subconscious, but it just keeps coming back to this. Um, I remember going to see this film. Uh, this would have been Christmas of '84, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, theater was just packed in uh, a very uh, inappropriate movie for a young person to watch. Um, but you know that back then they didn't care, nor did my father have concerns for that. If my dad wanted to go to a movie, goddamn it, we were going to a movie. <laughs> Aliens, Predators, Beverly yeah. Hills Cops, it didn't matter. Platoons, it didn't matter. You had all the good, you had all the good vitamins uh, all, for the 80s. Had all the good vitamins. Uh, quickly, uh, in case you don't know, um, I shouldn't assume that everyone has seen this film. Beverly Hills Cop is the story of free-willing Detroit cop played by Eddie Murphy, Axel Foley, great name, by the way, uh, pursuing a murder investigation. He finds himself dealing with the very different culture of Beverly Hills and all the, we're going to get into stereotypes today. We're going to get into some conversations because this was the eighties and uh, yeah, there was uh, difficulties. That's how I'll put it. Uh, how, yeah, how, how, yeah. I'm I'm fascinated to know how you're, uh, you know, going to take this conversation. Um, well, well, before we go there, though, let's let's yeah, look let's... at the pedigree of this film. Uh, this is a Simpson Bruckheimer film. I I totally forgot about that. This is you know the building blocks of the Simpson Bruckheimer empire. Uh, and for those who are curious, uh, it actually started with Flashdance. I mean, as as hard as it is to believe, that was the movie that launched Simpson Bruckheimer. Uh, this was the follow-up film, Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, it had a lot of pre-production problems. Uh, they tried to get it off the ground a number of times. Sylvester Stallone was going to be <laughs> the Axel Foley here. How wild would this movie be? A but, surge. Well, <laughs> <laughs> how much does this piece of art cost? Although, you know, I think he did his Beverly Hills Cop with Tango and Cash. Is that fair? Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I, I know. I'm not trying to drag Kurt Russell down in the mud. That's not what I'm doing. <laughs> but Tango no, and Cash, yeah, it's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fair. I mean, more so than Oscar. Uh, you know, it's just oof, boy, Ooh, what you a, are just tossing them out today. I was like, I am. Is... Well, you know, you know, there were sometimes in the video stores, kids, which you you took something off the shelf because it was there. 
that's how that's how you got your turkeys also um but no this really set an interesting template for you know the cop film right the, or, or the or the the comedic the comedic cop film uh, during this time period it actually one of my favorite is the uh uh, uh running scared i uh, you know mm-hmm. the peter hyams film with billy crystal and um uh, Gregory Hines. It's a fantastic, mm-hmm. funny, serious buddy cop film uh, that doesn't get its due. Uh, that you know couldn't have happened if there wasn't a Beverly Hills Cop. So, uh, can you think of any other, you know, cop like this sort of template of a movie? Oh, well, I mean, Forty Eight Hours, you know, was was a couple this of years came before. Yeah, that was eighty two, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it, yeah. And he's in Forty Eight Hours. He so. is. Yeah, <laughs> but a very different, you know. 48 Hours requires, you know, Walter Hill gets such a great performance out of Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. in, in that, especially the the speech, right, mm-hmm. when he goes into the Redneck Bar. And hopefully, folks, uh, probably be next season that we're going to hopefully get a guest on. We're going to talk extensively about Walter Hill in 48 Hours, but I don't want to spend too much time there. But um, I was shocked again at how just good Eddie Murphy is. Like, you watch Beverly Hills Cop and you just go, what happened? Like, when did he just choose wrong projects, stop listening to directors? What- well, I guess it's probably 90s, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, Adventures of Pluto, Nash, and Daddy Daycare, I yeah. think, were probably the Is the both of them his last great film? Yeah, probably. I mean, at least up to this point, right? I mean, he's still pretty active. Um uh but um yeah i mean there was a stretch where he was a pretty big box office star i mean he was probably the biggest star in the world man yeah Uh, you know this put him in that echelon it it just um, harlem nights you know is probably the rough film man one of the funniest (laughs) movies uh that, that i can remember but yeah i mean just a string of stuff um really through the 90s just a big you know just a big star um and then you you tack in like some of his uh, usual collaborators like arsenio hall and um you know john landis Landis. and i mean i you know he 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 had some talented people surrounding him but you know he was on snl what like yeah from like 82 80 to like a short stint i remember joe piscopo was on snl at that point i think they they were paired together like all the time it's pretty strange when you go back and watch it uh they've got some you know they've just got some really really funny bits i mean the, the the two of them together for sure uh from that era but yeah eddie murphy I mean, he was great. I mean, it's just still, you know, just this super talented guy. That laugh is so iconic, you know. Um, uh, and uh, the movie is also, is you know, Judge Reinhold is 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 pretty strong in this. Um, got, and also, you've got an iconic score from Howard Faulkner. Uh, you know, yeah, is that the Fletch music that's playing in that movie? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's the same guy who did Fletch, so it's very similar. It's very similar, but very similar. <laughs> yes, but what I like about the Faulkner score is that it showed. I mean, talk about timing right at that time in the 80s where synthesizer and synthesizer pop was going to dominate the radio waves you know the top 40 for sure coming out of you know sort of 
not the underground necessarily, but it's certainly in the late 70s and early 80s, you know, with the emergence of groups like the Cars and things like that, you know, it's sort of new wave sound. So taking the idea of the new wave sound and sort of giving it an even more techno spin almost, uh, you know, with his, with his score, uh, sort of a, I would, I would even go as far as saying it's a, like a craft work uh, type of sound. Um, but yeah, just one guy doing the soundtrack, you know, on, on, on a, on a gigantic synthesizer and it gets in your head. God knows they pound it. They pound that axle theme like over and over again. Yeah, unfortunately, for a couple of days after rewatching the movie for this week, I found myself just walking around the house, you know, kind of whistling <laughs> it and humming it. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. it's stuck in my head again. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. It's just iconic, sticks in your head. Um, and uh, I, I, so. <laughs> Does this movie, I think this, one of the things I definitely want to say about this, because it does connect to the other one, but I, we have to say that this is a movie that I think balances action with comedy extremely well. Oh my gosh. Right. Yes. But, the, but there's a great detective story going on. Yes. And that's what time. really, yeah, that that's, I think what really drives the story is that there's a really good motivation behind the character, right. Being there. And so the fish out of water sort of conceit, is very, very well integrated into what they're doing, right? There's a clear reason as to why he's there. He's very well motivated. He's got, you know, some definite, definite, definite arcs and tracks where he's trying to investigate. And so the comedy, almost this time when I was watching it, the comedy feels extremely secondary, like something that kind of comes out of his personality or unique response to situations that are fish out of water, right? Um yes. Uh, but that is sort of nestled within the the umbrella of the action story. And maybe, I, I don't know, I did not read enough about this particular part of the movie, but like maybe that was something that they were, that Eddie Murphy personally was trying to target where he wanted to be more of a, of an action star, um, you know, and be taken sort of as something other than a comedian. I, I don't know. I remember being, a, a, there being a little bit of a, stir about the fact that eddie murphy wasn't an action star and that you know there were some naysayers that didn't believe that the movie was going to hit because you know how can you have this comedian you know being taken seriously as an action well boy were those people wrong right because the wise cracking like you know comedic uh action star well i mean you know let's let's credit martin breast also Uh, you know he he directs this film with a firm hand Yes. Um, you know, and, and goes on to do it again with uh, De Niro and Charles Grodin. That's right. In, you know, in Midnight Run, uh, which which is also a a a buddy movie. Uh, yes. You know, but uh, uh, yeah, no, no. I, I, I think that when you see and again, I'll use Walter Hill, Martin Brest here, when you see people who understand the material, because Martin Brest obviously doesn't want to make a comedy he wants to make a a, you know a straight ahead action picture and with comedic like you said with comedic elements to it and you know the comedic stuff is i agree with you it seems like for the character of axel foley it's more a defense mechanism right than anything else because he's trying to you know 
diffuse a situation or understand a situation somehow or knows that he can use one being a black man in America and two, you know, he can make other people he's he makes people uncomfortable just walking in a room, you know, which is which is a statement that is unsaid but made here in this film right it's just like the black man walks into the room in beverly hills wherever it is and people are immediately uncomfortable right (laughs) i'm just a reporter from rolling stone i'm trying to do an interview oh oh, man i i completely forgot about that scene and when he (laughs) that one up i went oh okay (laughs) that comedy still like really hits though in this i i i I believe there were several sections a lot more than crocodile dundee and beverly hills cop there were a lot more moments where i laughed although there is you know there is homophobic humor right like in multiple times yes the film uh so you're you know you're 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 going to discover that you're going to come across that um and we can talk comparatively later but i think does this how does the surge character fit into this to this discussion because that's a that was always a funny scene to me well and no i mean we, the, you know, the, the 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 more offensive bit is when eddie murphy goes to the restaurant to confront maitland and pretends to be his gay lover right right that's way more offensive right, right. i don't think i don't take surge as being gay or i mean it's just you know what he's I just mean? a funny guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, that's how I view the Bronson just... Pinchot character. Like I have just viewed him as undefined. There's nothing, you know, you're made we're the audience is making its own assumptions. Yes. Uh, the, yes. the offense, the offensive joke is much late. Like I said, it's much later, you know, with yeah. saying that, you know, you need to tell Victor to get himself checked right. out. Get himself checked out. <laughs> Maybe you should tell him that yourself. Yeah. Oh, I think I yeah. Will. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. but but is that is that a conscious choice that Bronson Pinchot made in creating that character, though, by saying the audience? I mean, am I giving him way too much credit? You I know, don't. I yeah, it? I don't. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, certainly actors bring you know their own interpretations to a character. So you know, listen, I want to play him this way. You know, um, he's going to be quirky, and he's you know he's going <laughs> to you know have his. Well, I, I, his I, 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 I guess too, it makes me think about that old SNL skit with Dana Carvey, uh, Lyle, the effeminate heterosexual male. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Because the whole time, again, he's, he's doing an effeminate voice. Yes. But he is married and all his friends like, I thought you're gay. He's like, what? No. So, you know what, again, that's, (laughs) that's the joke. There is not that it's someone trying to make fun of being gay. It's that assumptions are killers. Yes. Right. Like that's in, and I always have enjoyed that about that. And that's what I was, but that's what I was thinking when I was watching the surge bit, yeah. you know, and, and, I mean, we're talking about what, two minutes of screen time at, at, at most, but it makes the most of it because people remember that character and they remember that scene, you know? So I also have to say this though, that in, and maybe it's just ironic, but that there's a, a, within the homophobic humor, there is this movie along with many from the eighties and the action genre just ooze homoeroticism mm-hmm. in those relationships between yeah. 
all of those cops, even Axel with Mikey at the beginning of the movie, they're sitting at the bar. I love you, man. You know, and there, there's like the serious moment. It's the serious moment. And if you wanted to read that, it's there. I mean, it's not, I'm not, you know, it's not, I'm not imagining that it's there yeah. in the text, you know, um, and there's a lot of teasing of Rosewood too, uh, you know, in this movie. Uh, oh, and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's there's, if you want an example of how, you know, uh, the, the homoerotic sort of trope, uh, from the action, this is a good example of that, um, because it, it, it kind of oozes with it, um, uh, in moments, um, mm-hmm. for sure, for sure. Uh, you know, and we would see that I, I would venture to say that, that it's probably in most of the buddy cop or buddy movies of the 80s and 90s unfortunately yeah it's gonna be there you know it's 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 what we at least by the 90s we would look back at it and say it was like a cheap joke Mm -hmm. you know i mean now of course we view it in other it's much more horrific but i'm i remember thinking at the time is just like oh they're gonna do this joke you know about isn't it funny uh, you know and and I, i I don't think it aged out by the nineties because there's certainly even comedies in the two thousands that still played it, you know, that way, but yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What, what other, what other aspects of this film did you find problematic? Mm, Well, I mean, uh, you know, there's some, some racial stuff that might make people um, a little uncomfortable. Um, in his stand-up, think... but his stand-up made people uncomfortable. You know, oh, when you yeah. watch Raw or, you know, Delirious, buckle up because it is, it's yeah. intense. Well, I was trying to think too, Jeff, you know, the, I think this was an era where we had the shock comic was really popular as well, right? Sam Kennison, Andrew Dice Clay, uh you know some of these comedians that were you know trying to attack uh these issues um in really shockingly comedic ways eddie murphy certainly i think fits into that vein um but i okay so there's there's you know hardly any female representation in the movie no um Although you know she's pretty strong, she is strong. We we get he the one. He doesn't want to get left behind. She we get the we get the one character. She's you know she's definitely uh, uh you know they give her as much as they can right within the context of all the other all the other things that are going on. But not a love um, interest. That that was also something very interesting. You know, it's just like she's she's just a friend, like an old friend, an old high school friend, and she if there was something there it's very vaguely hinted at right but it's long gone like there's no sentimentality there on that level right i i perceived it right right um did you the 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 fish out of water stuff works because oh it's funny to have a, a a black man who's actually uh got a legitimate professional gig as a detective right um you know but it's from detroit right so that's that's okay right um i don't know how they do things in detroit but in beverly hills you know and we follow the rules i know somehow to have this sort of like i mean i guess that's the other thing that i guess could be viewed as problematic is like 
oh well the beverly hills cops you know they may be like uh um dealing with a certain class of of you know community um but they somehow do it differently or right or better than detroit uh where it's a little more like of an of an urban jungle right um uh and uh i i think it's interesting that you know how that dynamic gets worked out is that by the end of the movie the beverly hills cops are playing axel's game right to the chief i mean they you know they just sort of like break the rules right so um, uh, one has changed the other as opposed to the uh, vice versa, which is, I guess, the way it's sort of set up to be, you know, right. Beverly Hills is going to teach this guy how, how it's done. Right. And then at the end of the day, the opposite happens. So, um, yeah, I guess that dynamic could rub people the wrong way. But I found that kind of interesting. This this or, goal, you know? Of course, I found unbelievably fascinating and hilarious was the Inspector Todd character, <laughs> who is the. Again, this was something that started in the 70s and made its way up and has never really left us. It's the it's the head of the detectives division that's going to take shit from nobody and can't stand when someone's a loose cannon and just choose them out with as many expletives as is humanly possible. I love it. It makes me laugh. Yes. 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 It still made me laugh, too. You know, <laughs> uh and that is a character that we've seen like oh, God. over and over and over and over again. You know, and it, doesn't, if- it doesn't always have to be a cop though. It can be like an editor of yeah. a newspaper. Right. Or oh, yeah, like, your, like your Perry, like your Perry White or J Jonah Jameson. Right. Right. Type. Oh man. Did I just, did I just double dip? I did a Superman and a Spider-Man. You did. You did. Oh you, my God. I just saw lightning come out of your fingers. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> forgive me forgive me mea culpa, mea culpa. no but i think beverly, beverly hills cop um is one that uh is problematic um but none of these movies from the 80s are unproblematic like you know none of them are unproblematic so uh you know this is one that i would you know that I would still recommend to folks. Um, Absolutely, this know, this say, movie you know, is a blast. It like works. it's yeah. it's it still works. Uh, problematic aside, I mean it it's it's a lot of fun. It's a and it's a solid it's a solid action picture. Yes, I mean, this is it's very and the soundtrack is amazing. Uh, in general, like all the '80s songs that are in there, um, really really enjoyed that. Even even Glenn Frey, <laughs> the Eagles. Wow. That's right. No, you're right. Yeah. That's the opening. It's in the opening of the film. Yeah. Um, And it's paced really, really well. Um, That was something that I noticed too about this revisit is that, you know, every scene, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of, it's, 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 it's trimmed really well. Um, And so it's no, I don't think it's any surprise that it was, you know, that it was a massive hit. Um, You know, and we should be transparent. The fourth one is, is coming. Like it's, it's, is it? I yeah, had no idea. It's, really, yeah, there's a fourth yeah. one coming. Yeah, it's in uh, it's in it's in pre-production. Um, I oh. think um, you know, I think uh, well, and you know, maybe we could get Craig on here to talk about this, Craig Brewer, but um, you know, because he did, uh, uh, he's worked with Eddie Murphy 
couple times quite a, now. quite a bit now yeah dolomite the reboot of dolomite that they did and um also the coming to america sequel oh that's uh, right he did direct that i forgot about that again. yeah so um i don't know if he's behind beverly hills cop 4 or not but i know that eddie murphy is experiencing a little bit of a resurgence um you know where he's uh it's kind of coming back around and so i I don't know. I have a little bit of hesitancy, you know, about a fourth one. Um, have you have you done the sequels recently? Have you done two and three? No, no, I hadn't. Just just watching this one. Uh, I I couldn't even remember the last time I watched any Beverly Hills Cop. Maybe I mean it's been that long. Yeah, for me on both of these, I told you I I, I did Beverly Hills Cop three um, last year just because I was researching movies that featured an amusement park as, you know, as part of the narrative. Um, so that was the only reason I was watching it. Cause there's really no, no other reason to watch that third one. It's quite a mess. Uh, but the second one is Tony Scott. It's Tony Scott's you know, film. Yeah. yeah um, and so that might be worth a rewatch because I know visually and stylistically has an incredibly different look than what mm-hmm. Martin Brest did. So um you know, but I don't remember anything about the story or the plot of, of yeah, part two. But the character, you know, the character, uh, I think, alone surviving over decades, you know, um, I think is is a testament to the value of the movie. And, um, you know, if there's a fourth one, you know, if it if it if it finds the, the light of day, people are going to go back and watch this one again, I'm sure, you know, and we're seeing that Top Gun, Indiana Jones, all, all of its. All of it's back, right? All of it's back, baby. Look out, 80s. Hot. 80s are hot. Once again. Oh, that was Beverly Hills Cop. 1984, Martin Brest. Eddie Murphy. We're Lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hazy's Dr. Joseph Watson. Up next. G'day, mate. There, there was my best Australian accent I could do. Crocodile Dundee, 1986. We hop. <laughs> ahead in time oh my god uh, peter Feynman. oh i got a million of them for this one uh, uh <laughs> starring paul hogan oh dr watson can you tell us a little bit about crocodile dundee well i could tell you that uh it was an australian american adventure comedy um uh, crocodile michael j crocodile dundee played by paul hogan <laughs> sorry is a rugged australian bushman who is brought to new york city by a journalist named sue carlton uh played by linda kozlowski sue is on a mission to write a story about dundee who has gained a reputation for um surviving uh hunting crocodiles and they've, they've attacked him and he survived that's the story anyway. Um, and uh, so Sue goes down to check this guy out and gets sort of like wrapped up in his kind of mysticism and is uh, becomes a little enamored of him and says, oh, I've got a great idea. You should try and survive in my jungle. You should come to uh, New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the bulk of the movie is really um, you know, uh, Crocodile Dundee in New York trying to sort of deal with these farcical situations where he's a fish out of water that's where the fish out of water sort of comes into play sue is a fish out of water in australia and then and dundee becomes the fish out of water in in new york and so um you know it's almost like a city mouse country mouse you know kind of uh story um 
but it's this movie's a mess, Jeff. I I I haven't seen this thing in yeah. long time, right? I, my my first question for you was going to be, what is the plot of this movie? I don't know. Like, I, what? I, that's a great question. It's a great way to lead off because because I, there is no discernible just, plot. Just nothing going on. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, I. And I mean, it, the movie ends <laughs> abruptly. This movie does not hold up well, Jeff. At no. all. Um, and I, you know, we should just like just get it out there. Let's just um, get it out. Yep. I never discourage people from watching a movie. If you want to watch a movie, watch the movie, you know. Um, but uh this this one is just not one that has aged well. Uh it's a hot mess. And I I, I tell you, okay, so I I think just here you go, Jeff. Uh the the original made. $328 million. There were two, oh, two sequels. God. Two sequels, one in 88, one in 2001. Uh, Variety estimates that the franchise value or gross at this point was in excess of $700 million. So Crocodile Dundee is, let's, let's be frank, it is a property of Paramount that yes. they could cash in on at any point. Now, some folks may remember 2018, 2019, uh, Danny McBride, did a reboot fake trailer yes as the son of crocodile, <laughs> crocodile dundee. dundee um love some danny mcbride right? and i do <laughs> i love danny mcbride too and I, and I think it kind of did for a moment instantly go oh yeah crocodile dundee uh we've totally forgotten about this property right and so it encouraged i think some people to revisit it and i don't agree with paul hogan who said that he feels the film has aged perfectly mm-hmm. Uh, not so much, buddy. Um, no, so, no, so, no, no. Yeah. So, uh, I think so. Let's go. Let's go back to this question, okay. Jeff. What is the plot of this movie? Wait, so, I, the, this movie? I re- okay. So, um, I, I, I do believe that they were trying to have some sort of city mouse, country mouse kind of love story. Um, it doesn't work. Uh, I think they were also very confused about are we making a fish out of water comedy or are we making him a, an action hero? And right. so they had some struggles there about what to do with that. But basically it was like, okay, the main drive of the story is let's get him to New York so we can put him in these outlandish situations that'll be funny. And then we'll have him just get together at the end, which there's, <laughs> there's, I mean, there's absolutely very, little if any motivation for the two of them yeah. to actually end up together and be in a successful relationship and i know that this is maybe it was somehow affected by the fact that and it was pretty well documented at the time that paul hogan like fell in love with her on mm-hmm. set during the movie they got married um you know and so it was kind of like whenever you have that situation where you know that the stars like fell in love while they were making the movie then it kind of was maybe that sort of shadowed the the lack of a story or plot but it's not believable at all like there's no i mean it's just it just does not work and you're right that climactic scene where she's running in the subway and he's like literally stepping on people People. to like get back and i'm like this is not funny like why uh, this was fun i get uh, so i i remember crocodile dundee as being this cute, funny movie. Mm-hmm. Somehow, all this other subtext and stuff that was there, like, or even lack of a plot, just, it was all about that one scene about lust on a knife. I mean, it was, it was all right. about that one, 
Dean. And that's the one that everybody still quotes. Right. Um, and yep. sure. That seems funny. Sure. But like the movie, I, I, I did not so much as maybe go, huh? No. As I was watching it. I mean, it, it and in fact, in several points, Jeff, I just found myself going, <laughs> because it just okay so the indigenous australian aborigines are represented in very stereotypical ways that are not fair to them um yeah. it uh basically whitewashes that and um kind of does the stereotypical like mystic like characteristics you're just gonna mm -hmm. give them to the white guy who was somehow like jungle book raised by these right, know, right 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 yes. i don't know who my parents were i was sort of a jesus figure that dropped out of the sky and you know it's just it, it, i'm blonde head and blue eye yeah right? man it's just it's awful dude and so you you got that uh then the fact that you know he's just he's just a dick yeah like he's just an asshole and and um uh there's not a whole lot that's really redeemable about him really at all i mean i i just i was very disturbed jeff by this by this revisit um the 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 whole the whole sort of premise of his humor is just making fun of gay people yeah and and being terrified of his masculinity being his challenged. masculinity being challenged yes and um and then there's just really this joke in the movie that's basically sexual assault on uh you know um and, tran and transphobic yes i mean because he grabs the crotch of yes. the one individual in the bar and of course that brings about hoots and howls and laughs and he's just you know terrified that you know oh my <laughs> god i almost i almost yeah, i almost went home with a yeah and, and that's just you know somehow that's horrific and terrifyingly funny and then of course the bigger one to me that's even more disturbing certainly given recent political you know quotes and statements that our former president has made you know the way he just walks up to that lady at the party and is yeah. questioning and then just grabs her crotch in the middle of the party and and it's somehow just dismissed because sue says oh it's okay don't worry about it he's just australian right like it's right. just like that's it's, we can excuse it because that's but just then, and, and, then, and then the woman being like oh yeah like she's turned on by it right you yeah. know like oh australia it's, it's, oh. Oh, it's it's not good dude it's I not pearls good. it's not good at all <laughs> No. Um, how did you how did you come about to choose this film again? Okay, so um I was looking through my DVD shelf, was looking through, was trying to identify uh 80s movies that I had that I hadn't seen in um you know, 20 to 25 years. Okay. This was one that I tagged and I went crocodile dundee. Oh yeah. And I had those nostalgic feels, Jeff, about Crocodile Dundee. Oh, that was that cute little funny movie about that guy with the knife. And about... this is not that movie, Jeff. This is a very disturbing movie. It really is. It's very, it's very disturbing to rewatch this movie because um, it, it challenges our 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 memory and our nostalgia so deeply mm -hmm. um, that it it's just anything is 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 on the table now. Everything is sus. Uh, it it doesn't matter uh, how much I loved it or liked it when I was you know 13 years old you know I mean 
but even more so is disturbing is that the adults let us watch this and sanctioned it and even agreed that it was, you know, this was a huge hit. Yeah. What'd you say? 300, 300 and change? 300 and some change. And that was a lot in the 80s. This I mean, I think $86 we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. And inflation, let's go ahead and double it today. That's like $600 million. So it does not represent as well a portrait of Australia that is is quite fair. I think the only thing that you can take away is music's still kind of fun. I still like the music. Uh, and I still think some of the cinematography, particularly when they were shooting on location in Australia. Yeah, the Outback I mean, looks great. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, so, uh, yeah, those are my takeaways. <laughs> that's that's on but, the revisit. That's it. You know, that's, that's about all I could say that's positive about it. Um, you know, and there is also a tremendous amount of, like Beverly Hills Cop, although not as egregious, there's quite a bit of homoeroticism in, mm-hmm. in this movie as well. Um, you know, the only way he gets the beer off the head of the guy is kissing him on the mouth. But that's somehow, yeah, but, like, yeah, I, I, but that's, that's just boys also. being boys. Yeah, but it is assault. Yeah, I. it's just, I don't know, man. It, 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 you know, it was just not, I think it was such a shock because it was not what we fondly remembered. And I think, you know, if that's one, then there's hundreds of others that, you know, that we just haven't like picked out yet that are, you know, that need to be marked and identified as, incredibly problematic again i'm not i i hate canceling anything right but but just being fully aware of what you're what you're getting into and what you're going to come up against um, right well i think you bring up you bring up a very interesting point about what we allow ourselves to feel nostalgic for and and things that sort of dig down into the culture you know i mean and this was during a wave. This started a really weird wave in the eighties of like Australian stuff in America. I mean, yeah, I'll throw out a name for you. Yahoo serious, right? Like, oh God. Wow. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Young Einstein, terrible movie, you know, um, the, 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 you know, and I mean, I think, you know, George Miller kind of brought in the Australian, sort of invasion well, and Peter Weir, I mean you know, right. I mean, they, you know they but they were part of the new wave yes you know, I mean they were part of the independent new wave they weren't yes. part of they weren't ozploitation or any of that stuff like they were their own creating their own visions uh in, in George Miller creating a vision that we're still living with today right. I mean you know he's he's working on the Furiosa film so I mean a lot there's there's a lot of untapped talent in in films to watch out of australia this would not be one (laughs) that i would say is indicative of australian filmmaking or a a product of australian art i i would venture to say at least from what i read this week um is that uh folks from australia are not proud of this movie um they they find it very offensive um and that it's not representative at all that um <laughs> that uh what'd you say ausploitation i like that ausploitation um, yeah i think that's very fair um and and a good word to use um so yeah and and you know um paul hogan 
didn't really do anything else. I mean, there, you well, know, he didn't need to. Uh, <laughs> he cashed his checks, man. I mean, well, talk about talk about like a Mr. Bean scenario. I mean, yeah. just I mean, just run with it, baby. I I I think it's interesting that you know because I did a lot of what I read this week did sort of spin off of what Danny McBride did with that ad because that really did sort of it was almost like a testing of the waters in a way for the culture like you know ooh is this one we can bring back uh but you'll notice that that uh we're in 2023 and Crocodile Dundee has not come back so you know there's <laughs> there's there's a good good reason for that and so i i think some of it too when i saw it on the shelf you know because it was one that has all three movies in the one thing and I picked it up when I was DVD dumpster diving, which I often do. Yes. And and I was just like, oh, there's one for, you know, five bucks that, oh, yeah, Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, I, I I need to have that, right? So the Danny McBride thing really kind of happened at the same time. I saw the title and I went, oh, yeah, and Danny McBride did that really funny Super Bowl ad. Why, why didn't we ever get Crocodile Dundee? And that's really what kind of like wanted that's what, that's I wanted to revisit it. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, because I was like, well, there must have been something there. Boy, boy, was there. Um, I, you know, I, another thing too is is I kept thinking that, you know, a way that they could have have maybe helped it was to just give Sue more to do. I mean, she she just, mm-hmm. you know, if 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 New York is her jungle. We don't ever really get to see her doing the same things with him in New York that he does with her in Australia. And I think that might have balanced it out a little bit better and would have given, I mean, all that we have is really the, you know, the party scene and the one scene where they're on the street, you know, the rest of it is really him just wandering around. Did you did they, walk about? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, let's also. The walkabout thing triggers me too because that's a really, really fantastic movie from the seventies. Walkabout, walkabout, but, um, yeah. But so, so the, there's this other quote that people need to be ready for, that, and I want to use it as an example of how they could have they could have done some different things there, right? When they're talking about the Aborigines and the indigenous, you know, folks in Australia, and and Dundee says, you know, well, I don't really care. You know, it's like he he equates it to 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 fleas fighting over space on the dog or right. some, something of that. You know uh, that sentiment, and I thought, okay, so if we're arguing that nobody really owns planet Earth and that we're all kind of tenants here and that we're it's all up to us to be good stewards of the, you know, then I can get. The, but there are a thousand different ways to phrase that than the way you just phrased it, because the way you just phrased it, yeah, it's kind of like yeah, all- colonialism. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Yeah. It's okay. He's Australian. We'll just He's Australian. He doesn't really know about colonialism. It's just yeah, it's just it man, it's it's so I'm glad that I went back and did it. I'm glad that we watched it because I, I think too. I mean you're not you're not really saying whether you had the same feelings, but I'm assuming, by the way, oh, no, 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 absolutely. you've been laughing and rolling. nodding that you're like, no, 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 no yeah, I, yeah, I'm, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm rolling with you, baby. Yeah. Was I'm, there anything redeemable in this for you? I mean, I mean, outside of what I was saying, like the cinematography is just the, great no, and... I, I agree with all your high points on this one. Okay. Um, just 
yeah this movie's garbage yeah this, there this there movie's... are better movies from the 80s uh you know and and uh i uh, this is just not one it's gonna fall off off lists for me for sure it's never been on you know like a podcast list or anything but um no. No. I, I i would try to avoid the commercial stuff like that anyway because i assumed that maybe incorrectly these days but i assume that uh, most folks have been exposed to this character or this content at some point because so many of our generation grew up loving it and it's probably one of those household things where i could just imagine a family you know like oh Oh, let's let's watch this this a great movie when we were kids and we loved it you know and i can imagine like you know, I did not show this one or watch this one with Zoe, right? But I can imagine most 13-year-olds today mm-hmm. thinking that this is what, these are the movies that traumatized our parents and made us the way that we are because of how, you know, this stuff is, you know, not funny at all to them. And so they would just be sitting there going, well, why was this funny to you guys? You know, oh, you know. Well, you got a point, but you yeah, see. Well, <laughs> well I, you know, I, I could at least say at 13 that I just wasn't as conscious of these social no. issues as the kids are today. No. Uh, and no. um, of course, when, you know, when we got more educated and understood, you know, a little bit more about stereotypes and stuff, you know, then uh, we, we, we've starting to be able to be able to mark and call these things out um, and, and identify where they came from, you know, in, in our youth. Um, I thought I have to ask you something too about, Surge, real quick. Um, I still I love that character, right? And I used the reason I'm saying that is because I used to walk around in high school, you know, doing a surge voice. You know, everybody tried to, you know, kind of mimic the get the fuck out Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you like an espresso? You know, I mean, I just I just loved that performance. And I think, uh, you know, if you look at the work of Vito Russo and Celluloid Closet and stuff, I think Surge is really just kind of a another iteration of the sissy character, right? Yes. I mean, where it's not explicit, right? The sexuality is not necessarily explicit, but there's just right. there's just something, there's just a little lemon twist, right? And Surge right. that just, you know, and that was somehow, you know, a very sanctioned stereotypical character that we saw in hollywood from the you know 1920s you know, up to, you know even still some today you know we still see that character yes. in existence um despite efforts to sort of eradicate it or at least to um at least to evolve that character some right and to give it some more give those characters some more dimension right and some more depth um would you agree that that's that you could that you could tie you that can, to but I, again i'll go back to what i said it's just like i think that we, the audience is making assumptions yes because nothing is as you would say in the text right so that's that's up to the individual right um and i think again maybe giving him more credit than is due you know that's that's part of that performance to me yeah um for okay. that again folks it's literally two minutes it, it, it's it's so but again there's so much there that you you find yourself i think they brought him back for the other films too did they he's in part I, two for sure yeah i, I don't in remember part, it in part three but he's definitely in part two yeah he's definitely in part two yeah but uh no 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 i i get it i i just i just think it's it's uh uh i think it is what you wanted i think it's what you make it yeah okay yeah you can get in touch with us a number of ways 
you can email us lonelyphds at gmail.com. You can click on the link to our Discord. That's right, we have a Discord uh, in the show notes. You can join us over there and chat about all things film, everything we talk about here on the show, and, and you know maybe some stuff that's coming up. Um, please review, rate, subscribe to the shows on Apple, Podbean, Google, wherever you get it. I promise that helps us out. That helps us figure out what's going on and who's listening uh, and is greatly, greatly appreciated. Until next time, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. Dr. Joseph Watson. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.